Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number 194 with Steve McLeod of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth Ghost, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. My name is Nathan Chan and I'm the CEO of Founder Magazine and also the host of the Founder Podcast. So for those of you that are new and joining us today, we interview some of the greatest entrepreneurs of our generation and just really share for you what it takes to build and grow a successful business and we learn from these entrepreneurs and founders' experiences, and I think that's one of the best ways to learn because uh, if someone's done it before, why not just learn from them instead of making the mistakes and avoiding those mistakes? So uh, today's guest, his name's Steve McLeod, and uh, he's an incredible entrepreneur. He's the founder of a company called Fire and Safety Australia, and uh, I met Steve through a group, uh, an organization called Entrepreneurs' Organization, uh, well, I met him like a year and a half ago, and uh, he now does strategic strategy days for us at Founder. So he's from Melbourne, incredible guy, drives a Tesla. He's he's a serious boss. He knows how to grow and scale companies, and uh, oh, you guys are in for an absolute treat. Uh, one of the things that uh, Steve shares with us that uh, will sit with me for the rest of my life is that uh, you know, when you're trying to grow your business, you know, people is so extremely key. And, uh, you know, you need to ask yourself the question, if you were to start your business again with your current team, would you hire them all again? Like, would you rehire all those people? And if the answer is no, 
well, maybe, um, you know, for certain people or all the people, maybe, you know, you need, might need to do something with your team. So incredible conversation. Steve's an absolute master at uh, growing businesses, scaling businesses. He's done some incredible things with his own business. He's helping us in a big way at Founder. Uh, you know, he's doing all of our strategy days. So we catch up every quarter now with Steve and um, you guys are in for an absolute treat. You want to know everything about hiring, growing your business, uh, managing teams, getting your team aligned, uh, getting your vision, uh, and then also make sure you check out Steve's book, Courage for Profit. Incredible book. Uh, we're doing something with Steve on the courses front. He's going to be teaching some cool stuff. Uh, stay tuned with that as well. But make sure you go check out his book, Courage for Profit. Incredible book. I've learned so much from Steve and I'm I'm so excited to just share his knowledge and wisdom with you because he talks about stuff that you really won't hear anywhere else. And this is like, this is hardcore business stuff. This is not tactics. This is like how you build a business. All right, guys, that's it from me. Now let's jump into the show. Okay, Steve. So the first question I ask for everyone that comes on is, uh, how did you get your job? My original job, right. So I... um... I was a firefighter for many years. So I was a firefighter in Sydney and then in Melbourne. And it was something that I wanted to do at the time, which was to help save lives and change the world. And so during my days off in the fire brigade, I started doing training, emergency response and safety training, and helping people with medical emergencies and fire emergencies. And then after doing that for a little while, I thought that there was an opportunity. So I decided to start my own business in that field. Mm, so how did you see that opportunity? Well, when I was working for other businesses doing this training, I i mean, they did a reasonable job, but they didn't do a great job. So, for example, they used old equipment. They didn't tailor training directly to what their customers required. Um, their training packages were very boring. And there was no real dominant player in the Australian market. So a lot of small segmented businesses. So I looked at that and I thought, I said to my wife at the time, you know, I think this is the time for us to go for it. So we decided to sort of risk it all and to start our own business, which was called Fire and Safety Australia. Mm. And when you said that um, you you were delivering um, like uh, safety tra- fire and safety training, it was that as a firefighter? Yeah, so as a firefighter, obviously I was responding to emergencies be it fires or medical emergencies or rescues. But when I, when I was generally delivering training, it was around things like how to operate fire extinguishers or how to perform CPR or how to rescue someone from a confined space. So it was more of an industrial and workplace type of setting than it was in my role as a firefighter. Gotcha. So, but as a firefighter, um, you, that is part of your role, training. Look, it is, but generally that training is very community focused. So you're going to a school and you teach kids around how to dial emergency services or how to get out of smoke, or you would, um, you would help different members of the community. It wasn't really tailored to sort of high risk industries like mining or oil and gas. It was, it was very sort of generic type of safety training. So I really saw an opportunity to take what I felt was a real passion for training that I had in trying to help people work more safely and, you know, ensure that people go home each night after work rather than being injured or killed at work 
and take that to sort of more of the industrial industry, you know, mining, oil and gas, petrochemical, and those real high-risk industries. Mm. So can you tell us when did you start Fire Safety, Fire and Safety Australia and um, how far have you taken the business? Are you able to give us some some uh, insights? You guys are a market leader, right? Yeah. So, look, we started the business just over 10 years ago in 2007. So I started the business when I was 23 years old, and I did it in my days off from the fire brigade. So I would work two days, then two nights, and have four days off, and I would build the business during my days off. And so I started the business in 2007, literally from cold calling every company in the book and starting out really on my own to just with that determination wanting to grow. Then over the first year, which was really the hardest, you know, that first year for us, we turned over 160,000 whilst I was still in the fire brigade. Incredibly hard just building something from zero. But then things started to gain momentum. And I decided that I wanted to build a national business rather than just being in one location. And then second year, we did 660,000. And the third year, we did 1.4 million. And all of a sudden, I was still in the fire brigade working 60 hour a week in the business plus 40 hours a week in the fire brigade. There was just hardly any time left at all. And we had our first son. And I decided at that point that like, wow, this business is getting serious now. Like I'm full-time in the fire brigade. I've got 12 full-time staff. We're turning over more than a million dollars a year. Things need to get serious. So that's when I left the fire brigade. And we basically doubled every year since to the point where now we turn over about 13 million. And this year we should do about 20 million. And we employ about 150 staff now nationally across all states and territories of Australia. We'd be one of the top three biggest in our field. And we provide that total national emergency response and safety training solution to clients. And we also provide full-time emergency response and paramedic personnel. So even whilst I talk to you now, there's probably 20, 25 people at different mining and oil and gas sites throughout Australia who are Fire and Safety Australia employees who are making sure that they keep those workplaces safe. So we've sort of built something pretty cool over the last 10 years. Mm, Yeah, wow. What I find interesting is, um, man... How come? How come it took you so long to leave your um, leave uh, firefighting full time? Like it feels like you should have left much earlier. Well, it's interesting because at the time when I first started my business in the first year, all I wanted to do was to build because really I have a real passion for safety and emergency response. You know, I went to a lot of horrible accidents and fires and disasters when I was in the fire brigade, and. All I really wanted to do was to help people. And so helping people was my idea of doing training and doing training in the workplace to help people so that this wouldn't happen. And I just started this as a business thinking I'll do one or two days a week training. But then by the time I got through the first year, I realized that I actually loved this so much. And my passion for building the business that enabled me to help more people than being in the fire brigade sort of took over. So arguably I should have left much earlier. But for me, as someone who really loved what I did, who didn't really want to leave the fire brigade because I actually loved helping people and loved responding to emergencies, it wasn't until I had something that I felt was giving me more energy and enthusiasm that it was actually time to leave. So, I mean, part of me still misses what I used to do, but now I've got a business that actually does that across hundreds of employees. So I could have well left earlier, but 
I think the timing was was right because I loved what I did and I still love what I do. So until my business was sort of taking over with my passion and complete energy and enthusiasm, I, I wasn't ready to leave. Hmm, that's fair enough. Um, when it comes to finding something that you're passionate about uh, and pursuing a business idea, what's your advice or thoughts? Well, I mean, if I look back over my last 10 years, there were some there were some really difficult times where things got really tough. If I wouldn't have truly loved what I did, been completely passionate about what I did and why I do it, I would have given up. So if I look back a couple of years ago to 2015, I had the worst year of my business life. Coming off a year in 2014, you know, we, we, we'd had revenue above 10 million uh, for the second year in a row. We made over $2 million in net profit. We had a fantastic year. And I got hit with the hardest year I'd ever had. So in that year, I had four, which, four really tough things that happened to me. So one, uh, I had an employee who left the business and became a stalker of my family and I. And it basically led to my family and I living in fear for a few months. I then had an, a, um, an employee. At this point, we employed about 100 people an employee who attempted suicide and uh, his family wouldn't look after him. So I tried to look after him and got him, you know, he was an alcoholic and got him into the right care and the right help. And unfortunately, by the time he came back to work, he then, uh, and he, all of this happened because of a marriage breakup that he had. He then blamed me for what had happened in his life. And uh, he then sued us, which wasn't very nice. On the same year, I had a major financial issue happen in the business, which lost us over half a million dollars, which is half a million dollars that we didn't really had because we just bought another business. And finally, I dealt with really the worst thing that's ever happened to me in all of my business history. So I've had a lot of difficult things happen over 10 years. But in 2015, I had a senior manager who was someone who was an ex-Army Special Forces soldier. He'd done 5,000 parachute jumps. He was incredibly skilled. He'd done five deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan. He'd worked my business for two years and he was an emergency response team leader. And I was in New Zealand at the time and I got a call saying that he died tragically in a skydiving accident. And so I got this call and it was, it was horrible. And, you know, I had to call up, you know, 15 employees that he managed and tell each of them that he passed away. And so... That year was unlike anything I'd ever had to deal with before. You know, I've dealt with tough customers, I've dealt with employees, I've dealt with legal issues, but nothing like those four things at once. And so to me, when I say, when people ask about running a business, I say, you've got to be incredibly passionate about what you do. And the reason I called my book called Courage for Profit was because courage is not really a word which is repeated, which is talked about in business. You know, when I was in the fire brigade, people talk about courage. Or if in the military, people talk about courage. But, you know, for me to get through that year, which was the worst year of my business life, the only way that I could get through it was have that, that really clear and compelling vision and the courage to know that no matter what happens, I've got 100 people to look after. I've got to keep going. I've got to have the courage to keep going. And I've got to bring them along the journey towards our vision. So that year forever changed me. It was the worst year of my life. It was the worst year of my business journey. 
but it was also a year that really shaped me and the business into where we are today. Mm. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, man. Um, so let's talk about your latest book, uh, Courage for Profit, um, Using Courageous Decisions to Drive Business Success. So what's the basic premise of the book? So, look, really, I wanted to create something which was everything that's worked for me in the last 10 years. And so think of this book as a bit of my manual or how to, you know, build an eight-figure business with 100-plus employees. But it was something that I wanted to be able to pass on to, you know, to my kids, to my friends, to my family members, for people who say, I wish I would have done this or I wish I would have done that. So it's my manual of how I actually went about doing it interlaced with the actual stories like my horror 2015 year that I talked about into how it actually happens. So over the last few years, I've done a lot of training for different entrepreneurs and business owners, Uh, you know, trained hundreds of people in business growth. And in my experience, everyone has a different understanding of what success is. So for everyone's business, they have a different understanding of, well, what does success mean? And so for me, Whether that success is they want a business that does a million dollars a year or a billion dollars a year or a business that changes the world or a business that makes them a hell of a lot of money. What is that vision of success? What does success look like for them? So I created my formula and my formula is something different to what I've seen out there in all of my readings of business books and journals, which is success equals vision plus courage plus relentless discipline, plus thirst for improvement. So vision, what's your strong and compelling vision for the future? What's that vision that five years from now, if you have your year like my 2015 year, what's that vision that's going to propel you through? It's going to keep you going on the other side, even if things are getting tough. You know, I'm going to be able to get through the times that will come. I'm yet to meet anyone in business who has had a, sustainable, rapidly growing business that's been around for several years that has not gone through tough times. So courage is that word that I want to reintroduce into the business landscape. It's not just for emergency services works and military personnel. It's for business leaders. It's the courage to make the decision that you know needs to be made. It's to do what you know needs to be done. I meet so many business leaders who make decisions based on what they think on what others might think or what their employees might think, but they need to do it based on what success looks like. And relentless discipline. I mean, that word relentless is there for a reason. Day after day, week after week, year after year, have you got the relentless discipline to do what needs to be done? Or are you just going out there and doing other things because that's what's easy? You know, it's easy to go out and have a few drinks or it's easy to go out and have some extra time. What do you, are you, do you really have that relentless discipline to make those 10 phone cold calls a day to go and see those extra customers to chase that money that's due? And the last one, thirst for improvement. You know, I think the best businesses that I've ever seen, those ones that are continually innovating and growing, they're really the ones that have that real thirst for learning, that thirst for improvement. You know, what can they do better? What can they do to improve? And that's both themselves and the business. So to me, that that formula, which is success equals vision plus courage plus relentless discipline plus thirst for improvement, is really what I've written the whole book about, the manual on how to go from zero as a 23-year-old kid 
to $20 million this year and 150 staff. And what are the lessons to learn on the way? And that's the story that I really wanted to share with everybody. Mm, yeah, amazing, man. Um, so one thing that really struck me about yourself is, um, for everyone listening, uh, so I'm a part of a group called EO. I think I've mentioned it before. Entrepreneurs Organization, really, really incredible uh, group of people have got chapters all around the world. And I'm in the Melbourne chapter. And uh, I first met Steve uh, through EO and uh, uh, he, he come to do a training, he come to our training day. And um, I was just like, wow, like where you, you come to facilitate uh, um, kind of a, like a, I guess, setting the scene for, for people's goals for the year. And uh, yeah, I, after, after um, like doing that workshop, I was like, wow, this guy, like the kind of stuff that you were talking about, I've never read or heard anywhere before. And um, it was really, really life-changing, earth-shaking for me. And um, one thing that uh, I found really, really powerful was the way that you track everything to the letter. Are you able to uh, share a bit of an insight on that around your traffic light reporting? That's something that I've never yeah, seen, sure. seen anyone really talk about. I know it's it is it it's uh, you know in in EO circles it's quite strong, but I never really read people talk about that, write about that, or content around that. And then also around uh, scaling. Like let's talk about scaling and, and growing through through people. Yeah, sure. So look, I think a lot of people talk about goals. And they say, you know, I want to be X or in a few years, I want us to do Y. So what I found though, in teaching some, in teaching the entrepreneurs organization sessions, you know, I would teach those across Australia and New Zealand and have three to 400 different people come to those sessions. And it used to frustrate me because so many people would come to those sessions and I'd say, you know, you know, Hey Matt, I saw you three months ago and you had this strategy in place and you were going to go out and get this business and you're going to double this year. Where are you up to? And Matt would say, you know what? I just didn't get there. I'd say, why not? You were only a few months in. What happened? Oh, something didn't work out. Now, I've always had the view in my business and maybe it's just my personal circumstances, but failure was never an option. That doesn't mean that things don't work out or that I haven't failed because of course I have with different things that I've done. I, I've, I've had an enormous amount of failures in the business. But business failure was never an option to me because if we did, we would have lost everything. So to me, it's about this relentless discipline. So I'm not interested in having, you know, 150 employees whose futures at stake because I'm guessing on something. You know, I have a responsibility to them. And even if it was just me, I have a responsibility to make sure that what we invest in is going to work out. So to me, it's not just having a goal and saying in a year's time, I want to go from 300,000 in sales to a million dollars. That in itself is okay. That's a goal, but it doesn't actually tell me whether or not I'm on track. It just says, here's my goal. So relentless discipline to me, which is that grind day after day, week after week, month after month, is what do we need to do each week to guarantee that we're on track? So in my business, most of our clients are a result of face-to-face -face communication. So for example, if we want to grow our business by a million dollars and the average person is buying $10,000 of products and services, we've really got to go and sell basically 100 extra, extra clients. So 100 extra clients 
if we convert 50% of the time, means I need to do 200 extra meetings or 200 extra meet with 200 prospects. So if that's on a weekly basis to me, well, that means I have to meet four a week. So it means if I get here week after week after week and I hit my four face-to-face prospective meetings every week, week after week after week, then I'm going to hit my goal. So I can look at my activities today and I can look out a year from now into the future and say, now I know that I'll hit my mark of success. I know I'll hit that goal. Whereas a lot of people just go, I just want to hit the goal. And they don't think about what they have to do in the daily grind, how many meetings, how many phone calls, what they have to do week after week. So I've developed a KPI dashboard. And so for me, I use this in all the businesses that I consult with, which is where you have a a red, yellow, and green uh, matrix. And every week for those key goals, you go, what does success look like for a week? So if you want to grow that business a million dollars a year, that's an extra 20 grand a week in sales that you have to bring in. So it'll be green is 20 grand in sales. And then red is normally set at either the business break even, or red means that we're really off track, which might be say 15 grand a week in sales. And so whether it's red, yellow, or green, every week relentlessly, we're going to look at that number and see if we're on track or off track. So think about, Relentless discipline is what are the activities that I need to do today to ensure that I hit my goals six months, nine months, 12 months from now. So when I was thinking about words for this chapter in the book and I looked back over my time, now I was the person that would honestly, when I was building my business, I would go and meet clients all day. I would talk to staff all day and I would do all of my proposals, my tenders and all of my emails at night. Because I didn't want to take up valuable hours during the day doing emails or on the phone. I wanted to get out there and see people to grow the business. So that relentless discipline, which is doing what you know needs to be done, if you need to do those four meetings a week, not doing one, not doing two, and not doing three, but doing four, and making sure that, you know, no time for holidays. If I'm away on holidays, then you do eight the next week. And making sure no matter what, that I'm always getting there, so I'm always going to be on track. What I found for me is by doing that, always a higher likelihood of success because I'm looking at the activities, not just the outcome. Mm, yeah, no, I think it's genius, really, really smart. We've we've implemented it in, in Founder. We, we won't hit our goal this year, but it's definitely made a massive impact around our business and also accountability. That's one thing that I found really powerful. The accountability, you can move it not just from yourself uh, as the founder or the, or the entrepreneur or the owner, but you can start bringing some accountabilities to members of your team as well. Well, one of the things that, that, that I've done with businesses that I've worked with and that I recommend is that this isn't all necessarily just the founder or the, or the business owner. But over time, you start to go, well, who are the right people to be accountable for that performance? Say, for example, that if we have something like now in the Fire and Safety Australia business, the national sales manager is the person who is accountable for those weekly face-to-face meetings. So I think now we've got nine in the sales team. So they have a combined KPI of well over 100 sales meetings a week or prospective meetings a week. So whoever that right person is that should be accountable for it, their name goes next to it so that they're the person who week after week reports back on whether they're on track or off track. You know, I've done a lot of strategic planning sessions with businesses, businesses for a million dollars to businesses for a $100 million revenue you know, employees from five to employees of 600. And 
what I generally find is that they're not looking at data regularly enough. At the end of the month, they'll say our sales are on track or they were off track, and that's it. But my question is why? Why were they off track? What, would, what were we not doing? So in my business, I could always correlate the face-to-face meetings or calls done by our team to what our revenue and sales and profit was. So I'm not interested in waiting till the end of the month to go to de- determine whether my sales team made enough calls. I'm just not willing to risk everything that we've built and risk our success. I'll wait until the end of the month and look at our revenue figure. Just not good enough for me. So instead, week after week, I'd look at how many calls, how many meetings, because then I'd be able to look into the future and say, now I know we'll hit our budget because they've done the calls and they've done the meetings. So I wanted to be on the front foot. You know, like I said, value was an option for the business. I wanted to be in front of it all the time. And I wanted them to understand that I wanted to help my team. I wanted to help our sales team, help our managers to achieve their goals. And it's much easier to do that early and work on it together than to try and fix it and fight fires at the end. Mm. You you mentioned about this relentless discipline, and um, I think that's super super key within you know with the success that you've had in your business, and this is your first business as well. Um, so a lot not everyone will have that inherent nature, Steve, uh, to be super focused. Um, like, do you have any advice or tips or best practice to maintain that focus, man? So I think for me, it comes down to what is your clear and compelling vision? So to me, you know, I started my business with the view of working a day or two a week, earning some extra money and staying in the fire brigade. But once I really started like a year, two years into the business, you know, this is what I love doing. You know, it was my passion. You know, our purpose is to forever change safety in the world one experience at a time. So I truly love what we do. You know, it's not something that I have to do. It's something that I want to do. It's something that makes a real difference in the world that if we don't have it, then businesses are at risk, people at risk, and there'll be more people who unfortunately die at work from, from, from um, accidents. So I wanted to be, I wanted to have a higher power. I wanted our business to be something that's truly meaningful, that truly stands out. But really, I wanted people to be able to come to me one day and say, wow, as a result of doing this training, this is what it's meant for us. Wow, as a result of having your people on site, you know, this person is still alive, which we've had those two happen. I've had those two happen to me before. So to me, having that vision right in front of me all of the time was that way that just kept me focused, kept me going. You know, if your vision is only money focused, I don't know that you'll ever make it. You know, for me, it was something more than that. It wasn't just about money. It was about making a difference in the world and doing something that would be meaningful. Whereas it was just money and you have a year like my 2015, most business owners would quit. They would say, you know what? Too hard. Things are really bad. I'm leaving it. But if you have something you were truly passionate about, where you honestly love what you do and you know what you do makes a significant difference in the world, that's when you can be able to push through. And I think I've always been a big, a big believer in visualization. So when things have been tough for me, I've always gone, you know what? Things might be crap today, but what does my success look like three months from now, a year from now? I would picture myself at a great restaurant, at our house, you know, drinking champagne with my wife, 
thinking, wow, you know, I remember back thinking of my future self. I remember back then when things were tough, but wow, we pushed through, we kept going and things have worked out. So I'd also encourage people to think about their future self and look into the future and go, you know what? One day in the future, what you're going through now is not going to be that bad. So think about it, get through it, and then go and celebrate your success three or six months from now. Mm, yeah, no, I love that, man. Um, so can you talk to us about scaling businesses um, from all the businesses that you've, you've looked at and, and helped grow when you're doing cons- consulting and, and advisory stuff? Um, what, what are the biggest things that, that hold people back from being able to scale a business? Yeah, sure. So look, I think, you know, if I cut right to the chase, I think the number one reason, like why people don't or why people aren't able to scale a business, probably a couple of things, but the number one is that people don't love selling. There are a whole lot of entrepreneurs who I meet and now I'll have a room, I'll be facilitating a training session of 50 and I'll say, who here loves sales? And I'll get like three hands up. I go, who here hates sales? Like 40 hands up. And I'm like, wow, you're looking at this the wrong way. Because they think selling is it's ugly, it's sleazy. And I said, look, who here loves their product? Who here honestly created their product or service because it's something that you wanted to see in the world? Most hands will go up. And I'd go, well, why aren't you looking at sales the same way? Why aren't you looking at sales, which is, you know what? I want to connect more people with my product that makes a big difference to their lives and to the world. And most people go, oh, I've never really thought of it that way. So I think sometimes an owner's lack of motivation in sales or they, they're thinking that sales is not the right thing for them would be one. The other reason is that most business owners who have a team of employees aren't really looking at their employees enough to determine whether or not they're the right people. You know, so my saying is most employee, most employers, most businesses don't fail because they fail to find the right employees, but they fail to fire the wrong employees. So I have, I've taught people leadership and have to ask to say to you to in excess of 500 people. And my question to everybody here would be, and this is not my question. This was a question I was asked about eight years ago by a CEO who built a hundred million dollar plus business. And his question to me was Steve, knowing what you know now, would you enthusiastically rehire all of your employees? I thought, Oh, that's interesting. You know, enthusiastically rehire. And I said, no. And he goes, why not? And I said, well, you know, I've got this person and this person's just not, they're not doing what they promised. They're not living, they're, you know, they're in late, they're leaving early. They're just not doing good enough. And he goes, well, why are they still there? And I said, my words were, they're not that bad. And I'm like, shit, they're not that bad. It's probably not the reason for me to employ employees. You know, I need people who are good, who are great, who are fantastic, as opposed to not that bad. So I took the courage and went and removed that person and I talk to business owners now and business leaders and I say, if you were like me at the time, this was about eight years ago, and your response is, no, I wouldn't enthusiastically rehire everybody, but they're not that bad. I go, well, let's try and build a team of great people rather than not bad people. So I think having the right team of people who are engaged in your vision 
who understand your values, who are the, are the best talent that you can afford. That's something that I've learned year after year is that what's the best talent that I can possibly afford that if I'm not in the business, if I'm on holidays or if I'm out there trying to grow, grow the business, who are the best people to really take the business to the next level? So that would be one of the things that I would suggest as well. Mm, yeah, no, I love that. And do you have um, advice on finding the best people? So one of the things that's always worked for us is to have a really distinct set of core values. So many years ago, I went to a great business workshop by someone called Vern Harnish, and he had a book called The Rockefeller Habits. And he talked about core values. What is the um, guidelines for behaviors in your organization? How do you encourage people to follow the set behaviors of the business? And so we've been a very values-based organization for a long time. And we have four core values, which are passion for safety, thirst for improvement, be memorable, and commitment to our team and clients. So everyone who we hire, they're the value. That's actually what we screen people on. Our job ads have those four values. Our email signatures have them. They're up all around our office. You ask people in our team how we reward and recognize people. You know, that's how we give people rewards. That's how we give people movie tickets. We go and say, you know what? You know, Steve, this month you've lived out thirst for improvement core value. You know, I had a, um, we had this issue. You're able to improve it. You're able to improve the business. Wow, what you was fantastic. Congratulations. So we really try and reward and recognize our team members around it. The second part is that I'm a believer in that you need to start as you finish. So you need, there's nothing wrong with having high standards. When I joined the fire brigade, there were 4,000 applicants for 40 positions. So well less than one in 100 people actually got all the way through from the initial application all the way through to a, uh, a job. And you went through physical tests, psychological tests, all sorts of things. So I think that you actually need to actually make it hard for people to join your business. So when we're hiring paramedics or emergency response personnel, we put them through physical tests. We put them through psychological tests. We put them through aptitude tests to actually look at, can they actually do all the things they're saying to do? I made a lot of mistakes early on where I hired people because they had a CV and a pulse because they look good on paper, you know, and it was terrible. But it's only now that we actually go, you know what, let's actually test to see if you tell me that you have all these rescue skills, let me give you equipment and you show me. You know, if you tell me that you can operate these computer systems, you actually come and show me. And so I think that's also helped us to really, at a really early stage, screen out some people who are just not the right people who are really just, you know, not telling the truth on their CV and who otherwise we could have hired and had some bad consequences as a result. Mm. Can you tell me about rewarding, like a movie tickets and stuff? How often do you do that kind of stuff, man? Well, look, I mean, we've always had a, a, a probably over the last oh, seven or eight years now, what we call our superstar of the month. So uh, our superstar of the month is always linked to a core value. So we ask our team members to go and vote and say, who is the superstar of the month? Who in the business stood out to you who went above and beyond for living one of our core values? And so our team will actually nominate different people who they think did it. So the idea is it's always linked to a core value and those core values are the behaviors that we want to encourage. 
And so we'll do that every month. But saying that, we've actually expanded it in the last sort of year to be every senior leader in the organization, like seven or eight senior leaders. They can all give one out each month. Because really, we want to reward and recognize people. You know, we might not ever be the highest paying business and we might not have the best perks like beanbags and PlayStations and uh, ping pong tables like some other tech companies. <laughs> but if we can be the business that honestly values people for the behaviors they're showing and we can really send our hand to them and say, look, what you did for this customer or for this staff member was fantastic. We appreciate it and we recognize it. So here's a couple of movie tickets. Or maybe on occasion, you know, here's a hotel voucher for you to go out with your wife or partner or husband and go away for the night. To me, that's had a whole lot more it's a, that, that's had a whole lot more uptake and acceptance from people. And then sometimes we'll actually have a shared goal. I remember about six years ago, we were about a $2.7 million business, had about 30 staff. And I said to everybody, you know, if this year, if we can double, if we can get to that 5.5 million, I'll take everybody on holiday and we'll go away for three days. And so week after week with relentless discipline, I charted our revenue. And our, at the end of the year, everyone knew if we weren't above that 5.5 million, if we weren't twice our revenue of the year before plus, we wouldn't go. But if we were, I'd take everyone away for three days. We went to Fraser Island off the Australian coast in Queensland. And every week I would show people where we were. Are we, were we above the line with budget or were we below? And then when we were below, they'd say, oh, where can I squeeze that extra revenue from? You know, you never saw more action on a Friday afternoon at the end of the month when we were just, you know, $2,000 behind. So I gamified it and we used it and it worked. And by the end of the year, we achieved some great stuff. So look, I'm interested in, in generally rewarding people based on their values, based on behaviors, which are what the company wants to see, based on making sure that we recognize people and we say thank you to people. And sometimes that gamification, how can we have a competition or how can we try and have a shared reward that either the whole business can contribute to or the specific team can have a competition for? Mm, yeah, I love that, mate. Um, look, we have to work towards wrapping up. A couple last questions. Um, in your book, uh, you, you, uh, you mentioned there's something mentioned there that I found quite interesting, asking the hard questions and overcoming ego. What does that mean? I think sometimes business owners and teams believe that they are better than what they really are. So I work with a lot of businesses, private businesses, entrepreneur who's generally running the business. And those ones who are able to go, who, th those people who think that their business is perfect and everything is great are generally the ones heading for disaster. You know, I want the people who are healthily paranoid, who are there going, you know what? I don't know everything. What other options do we have? What have you heard? What have you read? What can I see? What are some options for us to improve? Whereas the people that think that they know it all are the ones who are found are just heading towards ruin. So those business owners that go there and go, hey, I'm interested in new ideas, or who are asking questions like, hey, what have you done in your business to improve culture? Or what have you done to, you know, improve your conversion rate uh, on your website? Or what have you done to get better social media cut through? 
I mean, I've just found the best business owners that really are growing their businesses. They check their ego at the door. They know that no matter whether you've been in business a year, five years or 10 years, there is always something to learn. So to me, that thirst for improvement, that core value, which is that last part of my equation to success, if leaders really aren't there and don't have a real thirst, a real desire to learn more, to get better, to improve, then it's just not going to happen. So the more that they're able to ask those tough questions of themselves in the business, to get other ideas and brainstorming from successful entrepreneurs and business owners, that's how I think these companies continue to grow. There's not one, per, you know, I, I've taught probably four or 500 different business owners, consulted with 80 or so companies and, you know, build a pretty sizable business. But, you know, every month I'll be reading a couple of new books that come out on Amazon. You know, I'll be going to different entrepreneurial speakers. I'll be doing as many online courses as I can. And I'll be listening to people. There's always something new to learn. And so the more that I can learn, the more that I can grow. And if you can keep investing in yourself, whether it's a $10 book or whether it's a couple of thousand dollars uh, workshop, you've got that knowledge forever. So even if you, and I, I really think is that, you know, a business is just a really long education. You know, I was, I was schooled by the, the school of hard knocks. You know, I don't have an MBA. I didn't go to university, but I built a business from a young age and continue building it year after year. And I know what works and I know what doesn't work. But the more I can keep reaching out and meeting people who have made it work, and it might only be one small thing that I've been able to bring back to my business, but the more you learn, the more you earn. And those types of sayings, I think, are amazing because people who build world-class businesses that scale year after year, they keep learning. And they're not interested in saying that they're the best or they know everything. They just, they're probably just learning a little bit more than everyone else who's around them. Mm, yeah, I agree, hundred um, percent. Awesome, man. Well, look, um, last question, or no, two last questions, and we'll wrap there. Um, first question is, you talk about leadership a lot, which I think is quite interesting. Um, to be honest, you know, it's taken me a while to understand the importance of leadership, especially when I didn't have any employees at at founder. But I, now I realize that leadership is absolutely everything. Um, so I just like to hear your thoughts on that around what kind of leader you are. And uh, then uh, how can people find out more about your work and uh, grab a co copy of uh, Courage for Profit? Yeah, cool. So, look, I think, look, regarding leadership, it's interesting. So if I look back, you know, I was 23 years old. By the time I was 24, I had nearly 10 staff. And, I, you know, I remember I was 29 years old. We were approaching 100 staff, and there are only three people in the company younger than me. And so I always looked at it like I said, I wasn't university educated. I don't have an MBA. But, you know, the fire brigade always teaches that, you know, leadership is about having a clear plan and executing that with specific roles and responsibilities of everyone who's there. Because, you know, when you're in the fire brigade and you're going to a fire, you're going to a rescue, you know, failure's not an option. You can't just say it's a bit too hard, so I'm going to go, I'm going to go and run away. So I think for me, the way that I've led my business and businesses is that I've always tried to distill our vision about where we want to go. So I've always made it really clear and said, look, this is what we're aiming for. You know, in 2010, in 2015, in 2020, this is what the business looks like. I've always tried to paint the future 
of what the business looks like to our team so they could see the future, so they could bring them along in the journey. And then I looked at my view, at my role as having high standards. What are the standards that the business has? How can I help to grow them towards more? The reason that thirst for improvement is a value in our business is, is if people don't want to improve, they, we move them on. We want people who realize that they want to continue to improve and learn and grow because those people to us have been our best employees. They'll be with us for life. But those people that don't want to learn and grow aren't the right people to us. So as a leader, you can't talk about your vision enough. The more you talk about your vision, about where you want to go, the more that your employees and team will understand where they're going to fit and they're going to align with you and really want to move forward. So I encourage you to set a, a strong and compelling vision, to have the courage to be able to follow through, to have the relentless discipline that week after week, month after month, having those clear KPIs, holding your team accountable, and that thirst for improvement, knowing that everything that you do can always be better, both person, personally, professionally, is the business. Look for that 1% everywhere you go. You know, I'm lucky I've dealt with hundreds of different types of businesses and you get to see every different business that's out there and you get to learn something from everyone. And so the more you can invest in your own learning and you can invest in your own development, that's just not a, a, a tool for your business now, 10 years from now. So I highly encourage the more that you can do to improve yourself. In terms of Courage for Profit, so I have a website called courageforprofit.com. Like I said, that word courage means a lot to me, which is I think business owners really need to do what they know needs to be done and really sometimes, you know, stare down in the face of adversity, in the face of things that aren't going well, when it would be easy to quit and give up and instead to have that courage to keep going, the courage to persist, the courage to achieve their vision and the courage to profit. So I've just released my book called Courage for Profit. It explains these types of experiences that I've talked about with you this evening. And it's really my way of which I'm hoping that when people read it, they're going to be able to get great value, whether it's around the financial numbers that matter or whether it's around how to go and get that right team or how to build a great culture or whether it's how to set their vision. What's the systematic process that I go through every year and look at our vision five or 10 years out, or whether it's that relentless discipline and that courage based on dealing with adversity. So I hope that people are able to read it, get something of value from it. And, you know, I'd love nothing more. And the reason that I've done this is, you know, my goal is to help 10,000 business owners to discover their courage so that they can build a great business, which really helps better their business and better their life. Awesome, man. Well, look, um, thank you so much for your time, Steve. I uh, really enjoyed our conversation, man. I can't thank you enough. No, thanks, Nathan. Appreciate it, mate. Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. 
These are 100%. We go super in-depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.